0: Hello, everybody. How are you doing? How are you doing? This is S. Anthony Thomas. This is the S. Anthony Thomas Show, episode number 153. Let's get right to it. You know, I want to talk about schadenfreude. All right. I know you probably know what that means. It's a German word that means, you know, f- pleasure when someone else's suffering. Malicious joy is what it means. And it's, you know, it's it's kind of a popular term now. People use it all the time. And I don't really feel it that often. You know, I don't feel it that often, even though there are times When I should feel it, you know, sometimes people do things to you and then you see bad things happen to them and you just feel joy. And I felt a little bit of it a few years ago when I had to shut it down really, really quickly because I felt guilty. I felt guilty. I ran into an ex of mine who was a cheater. Right Now, at the time, I didn't realize she was a cheater. As it turns out, she was a serial cheater. And she was one of the people that not only that she didn't cheat on you and feel bad about it, she didn't even pretend to feel bad about it. In fact, the simple fact that she could, you know, cause suffering to someone else, you could tell that she kind of enjoyed it a little bit. Right. She got a kick out of it. She got a kick out of the excitement of doing things behind your back. Right, didn't matter what the consequences were to the person. Didn't matter. Right. And I was one of her victims when I was a younger man and she had maybe a decade or so on me. And at the time, I being a young guy was um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of a dope. Not in general. I'm an intelligent human being. But in this particular part of my life, not so much because of my youth, you know, because when you're young, you're just lucky to be having a little in, right. So when you find someone who regularly engages in with you, and they're extremely attractive and they're ten years older than you are, and they're incredible and awesome looking and they're regularly with you, you, meaning me, you think you have a girlfriend. And at the time I just knew I had a girlfriend. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And as I said, she had about a decade on me or so. She was probably about you no, know, she was probably in her late twenties, heading towards thirty, and I was heading towards twenty or twenty. I was either nineteen or twenty, somewhere around there. And she was this fantastic and incredible woman. And I'm thinking, man, this wonderful lady, all for me, 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 me. And at the time, at the time, she wasn't seeing anyone. But what I did not know, what I did not know, was that she just wanted to have someone who she enjoyed <laughs> with but because i was so much younger than she was she never really took me seriously unless we were <laughs> because she enjoyed <laughs> but i was just her some punk kid who was kind of cute who was good at <laughs> with her right and i didn't know that she was basically just using me as a warm i was like a a warm place to rest while she waited for her a guy closer to her age that she actually wanted to be with. And I didn't know that had she told me that, had she said, listen, I don't want a relationship with you. I just want you to come over here three or four times a week, And, <laughs> and then, you know, maybe we'll get something to eat and then you get the heck out of my face or I'll call you. I'll page you. Yes, there were pages back then, not cell phones. Shut up. I'm old. I get it. Ha ha ha. I'm already, I'm already uh, mad at your messages. <laughs> pagers man what's a pager (laughs) so to to that third of my audience that's young enough to say what's a pager you stink okay back to the story (laughs) i can already see the messages pager oh man okay shut up Okay, so she page me, and I I'd, I'd see that we had a specific series of numbers. Like I forgot what it was. I said page me, you know, uh, six four eight two or whatever the hell it was. And if he paged that, whatever the heck it was, but if he paged that number, I knew it was time to come in. And then you know, and I had my friends laughing at me because they knew what the deal was at this point. They didn't know I was being used, but they knew that I had this ridiculously attractive woman that was older than I was. And when I got that page or when the, my leg vibrated, I'd look at it. I'm like, "Whoop, got to go guys. They're like, yeah, we know what you got to go. And huh? Use a gigolo. I'm like, she ain't give me no money, although <laughs> she should. That was a running joke. But they, they also thought she was my girlfriend. It was, it was cool. But then what happened was she cheated. And I mean, it was like a stone cold, like... I don't even care. I'm not even going to say how I found out, but it was, let's just put it to you this way. There was 100% proof. I mean, there was literally, when I confronted her on it, she couldn't even deny it because that's how obvious it was. And she didn't deny it because she didn't care. She was like, yeah, whatever, punk. You know, it was like yesterday when she she was, you know, we were, (laughs) and it was all lovey dovey. But now, a day later, It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, punk, I never liked you, you know, whatever. It was was worse than that. It was, you know, the language was harsher than that. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I was completely shocked. Fast forward, some time passes. I kind of forget about her. And I find out through the grapevine she had done that. um, Not the whole arrangement that we had, but she had, she would legitimately date someone. And then. She would go, "Yeah, how much does he make? Not enough, and go jump to the next dude or whatever and she just she would basically literally just throw people in the trash can, and I ran into her, and things have not worked out well for her. I mean she's not destitute, she's not you know nothing. It's just that her life did not turn out the way she thought it was would, and now she would like to be with someone but unfortunately. At the age she is now, she's, the people that she's dating are, are a little bit older. They're not teenagers like I was. They're at least in their 20s, and guys now are a lot smarter and can see the red flags, and they're basically going, nah. And I ran into her, and she apologized. And I didn't care. I'm like, it was such a long time ago. What am I going to do? Say, well, you know, when we, I, Why are you in my mind? I'm like, Oh, yes, I appreciate that. In my mind, I'm going, I don't care anymore. You know, it's like, who cares? I'm not still mad at the the kids that bullied me in high school because what are they going to do? Bully me as an adult? Please. Man, I didn't care. And then she talked about all the bad things that happened. Nothing tragic, nothing that's going to be on 48 hours, but things didn't work out for her. And for a fraction of a second, Schadenfreude. I enjoyed, for, um, literally for a fraction of a second, I enjoyed the fact that she felt what she had made me feel as many of the other people had, have felt, right? And this isn't gender specific because I know that there were guys that did the same thing to ladies and you know, there was a comeuppance to them and a lady ran into them and found out that their life kind of sucked a little bit and they, but they, of course, felt the shouting for it and were cool about it. Like, that, he fell on his level apart, ha, 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 ha. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't want to go there with it. So we hugged it up and she went her way and I went my way and I didn't want to feel schadenfreude. I don't want to be happy that someone suffering. Now, there is a tiny bit of, of hypocrisy in it because there is a little bit of schadenfreude in my life. I like to watch dash cam videos where people drive badly and they get pulled over by the police. That I feel no guilt when it comes to that. I'm glad things bad things happen to them because in those particular cases, you're you know da- endangering someone's life. In my particular case, fortunately for me, when she was cheating with the other guy, she she was meticulous about her birth control. That's one thing that made me not completely hate her because I was pretty protected, even though I protected myself when we <laughs> and she protected herself with the other guy when he to <laughs> but you, you know what I'm saying. But someone asked me regarding stand-up, my other profession, which I'll be going back to soon. Don't you love it when somebody else on the show bombs? huh? And then you do well. Uh, There's some schadenfreude there, right? No. No, there isn't. And I will tell you why. And I think it's the same thing if you're working in an office. Whatever your endeavor is, there's no reason to feel that way because in in, in most instances – because when I'm on a show with somebody, there's two people opening for me. Why would I want the first person on the show, the first person the audience comes into contact with? Why would I want them to not do well? Because if that person doesn't do well, it may be a little harder for the next person. And if that person doesn't do well, it may be a little harder for me. It doesn't make sense. In my estimation, I tend to think of the three people on the show As teammates and our collective battle, our collective opponent is the specter of failure. So I want the first act to just kick butt and I want the the middle act to kick butt. And then I'm going to go on stage and I'm going to kick butt. I don't feel the schadenfreude when it comes to that. Okay, maybe one time. Okay, one time. Let me stop lying. Now, this is a long time ago. This is back in the same era of when that girl did that, that woman did that crapping, th- cheating. I, I did feel schadenfreude at one time and one time only. One time. And I'll be honest with you, I should, even though I'm I'm saying that you shouldn't feel it on, on, on the normal circumstances, I'm going to tell you about this time. And uh, in fact, I'm feeling a little schadenfreude right now. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit of malicious. I'm feeling kind of good. Yeah. This is the one instance where I'm going to give myself a pass. (laughs) Young me performing, finally getting to the point where I'm on stage and I'm doing well regularly. Now, when you're doing anything and you start to become good at it, there's going to be times when you're really good for stretches and then you're going to stink a little bit, right? But I had gotten to the point where I was doing, I was right at the end of that section of my career where I now was predictably doing well, but every once in a while I'd You know, kind of stink a little bit, but it didn't happen that often. I didn't bomb, but it just wasn't up to my standards. There was a comic who was a little older than I was, right? And he tried to, I thought he was trying to be a big brother to me, but as it turns out, he was being, trying to be a big bully to me. And unfortunately, with this arrogant human being, he had moved to the section of his career where he was doing well regularly. And bombing, if it happened, was such an aberration that he didn't even think much about it, most likely. And I go on stage and I do very, very, very well in front of him. Right. And he thought I was just some punk kid. So he's being a big brother. Hey, you're going to do good, kid. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. And I go on in front of him and I'm getting applause breaks and and I get a standing ovation on the first night. He did well, too. But he did not get a standing ovation. And I'll be honest with you, did I do very well? Yes. But I think what happened was they saw me and I was so young at the time because I actually looked a lot younger than I actually was. They were surprised at my level of skill at that young age, but I, I was working hard. So part of the standing ovation was the fact that, hey, this young kid did good. It wasn't that I was so much better than anybody else, but it was just like they, they expected nothing from me <laughs> right? because I was so young. But I did so well, so they gave me a standing ovation, so now, all of a sudden, not he didn't he wasn't smart enough to take that into account now, all of a sudden he's getting he's feeling a little threatened and you know feeling a little threatened right now, instead of being so hanging around, you're going to do good kid, taking me under his wing, trying to give me advice now, all of a sudden, he's standoffish right, and I can see him. At the other end of the bar, looking at me the same way a a wife would look at a husband when he's looking at the waitress's chest a little too long. And I I would catch him looking and he'd look away, right? You know, and then we'd we'd be in a situation where we would have to actually talk to each other. He was kind of, you know, a little passive aggressive stuff, right? You know, giving me advice that I knew to be wrong. I'm like, well, he's trying to sabotage me. I know I'm young, but even I know what he's saying is wrong and all that kind of crap, right? Trying to give me tags for my bits, meaning what I mean by tags, my bit suggestions on edits and suggestions on additions to my material that I knew were really, really lame. Even at my young age, he didn't realize how long I had been doing it. Even at that young age, I knew he was trying to sabotage me, thinking I was dumb enough to take his advice. But I had enough experience to know that what he was saying was complete horse crap. I go on the next show. Now there's no standing ovation for this show, but the but but everything but that for the second show. Now he's really upset, right? Let me get to Saturday's show, right? And like I said, that was at the point in my career where I could do extremely well for long stretches, and then I'd have a little clunker here and there. And on this particular occasion, I had a clunker. Now, did I bomb? No. Was the audience happy? Sure. But it wasn't up to the level as before, and he's looking at me like ha ha ha. And I catch him looking at me at the bar, and instead of looking at me like the like a jealous wife who who, who catches the husband looking at the waitress's chest too long, he's looking at me like ha <laughs> ha. Finally back to earth, punk. Finally brought you back to earth, huh? Even though technically you could say I killed, but I didn't ultra kill like I did in the first two shows, right? And now he comes over. And he says, you know, uh, that uh, he's saying that he was implying that a couple of people in the audience were complaining about me, which I can't, I'm sitting there going, I could see the audience from the stage. Like everybody's face was smiling and laughing. As it turns out, of course, he was lying, trying to get in my head. Okay, okay. Now I'm angry. And instead of just, like I said, my normal feeling about the comedy show is we're all in this together. It's us against the specter of failure. It's us trying to take the audience on a journey. I want the MC to do well. And in this particular case, I was a feature, which is the second act, the act in the middle, the act that does 30. In this particular scenario that I'm describing, there was an MC who did well, of course. He did really good. He was good. But because he was the MC, he didn't feel threatened by that guy. And he is sitting there so busy trying to sabotage me with his words and sabotage me with his attitude. He doesn't realize that I'm not the kind of person that gets sabotaged by what someone says or does. If anything, you basically just started the music, The Eye of the Tiger, because now I'm going on the stage on a mission. My mission is I'm not going to do anything to you. But I'm gonna turn up the juice because I was just doing a regular show. I wasn't throwing the whole kitten caboodle at the audience like I normally would right because this is my first time at the club. I don't want you know i mean i, I you wanna kill but you don't wanna you know sometimes you get a little overboard and you know you may try to do too much and you know it might not work out. <laughs> You might try to step on the gas and then you step on the gas and then you hit a slick spot and crash into a pole. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, sometimes you just kind of want to when you go out of town and you work in a club the first time or the first few times until you get a good relationship with the booker. A lot of times you basically want to hit him with the greatest hits package. This is the stuff that I know works. No experiments, not trying out the newer stuff. This is Rock solid. You know, it's like a, when you're a football player, you need a first down. You go to that one play that you know works the best. If you're, a, if you're a pitcher and it's three, three to two, you throw your best pitch. You know, it's like that. So now I'm looking at this guy and I had already talked to the booker and the booker had already booked me for three more dates and loved every show. The show that I thought wasn't good enough, he didn't see any difference. He thought it was great. So I'm safe. I'm going to get booked back no matter what. And This guy sitting there following me around with his bad advice. Okay, okay, no problem, no problem. And I'm telling you, man, it was like as I was walking through the stage, man, you can almost you can almost hear what like the eye of the tiger. You know, I'm like, okay, okay, chump, you don't try to sabotage my show. I got something for you. I walked on that stage and I was performing, and up until that point in my career, that was the best thirty-minute set I had ever done. And this time, I got a standing ovation because of the. It wasn't had nothing to do with me. Them being surprised that I was good. And I ripped that place in half. And it was a sustained standing ovation, a sustained standing ovation with them going. But I said, "Okay, that's my time," and they all go, "No, more, more!" And they started chanting my name. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And as I was walking off the stage, people were standing up and like hugging me and shaking my hand. And the MC is on the stage now. And he's like, OK, let's keep hearing it for him. man." You know, like, yeah. And the audience is all facing back towards me. And he's standing in the, in the hallway like, oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, oh. So he makes his way to the stage. And I walk out of the room because I don't want to be a distraction to the audience. And I go to the back and I'm sitting in the back. And when you're in the back, a lot of times you can hear the laughs through the wall. A lot of times you can hear the laughs through the wall. This was not one of those times. <laughs> now, did he bomb? No, but it was like when I was on, it was like, yeah, applause break. Yeah! You could hear through the walls. People stomping their feet. Yeah! People high-fiving each other. Yeah! People, the call and response, people repeating something that I said, laughing. I mean, it was loud. He was on stage and he he did his set. And get, <laughs> he was getting that for about 45 minutes. And I walked back into the room and I don't know if you know what flop sweat looks like, but it's when you're so nervous that your whole face is covered in sweat, even though the temperature of the room and the physical exertion doesn't call for the sweat. That's flop sweat and he is soaked and it's not that hot in the room because he's working his behind off just to get the little bit of laughs that he's getting. And I sat back there and I'm in the back of the room looking at him. And I had no expression on my face, at least I don't think I did. And he looked back at me and had this look in his face as if to say, I brought this on myself, didn't I? And I looked at him and he looked at me. And then I walked out of the room and let him stay up there, and bore the audience for the last 20 minutes of his act. (laughs) <laughs> right and when he came off the stage normally the comics sta- sit in the back you know maybe we greet the audience on the way out or maybe you hang out at the bars he was trying his best to avoid me Not, I mean, I don't know what he was expecting me to do now did I enjoy the fact that he had a weak set yes I did loved every loved every second of that 45 boring minutes yes I did because the other three shows he did really well but this particular show this particular show, he was trying to sabotage me and I didn't do anything to him except I decided not to hold back, which sometimes I would do because you want to show respect to the headliner. You want to do well, but you, you know, like they say in the 48 uh, laws of power, you don't want to outshine the master. Not that this guy was a master, but you know, you want to do very, very well, but you don't want to, you know, you don't want to suck the oxygen out of the room because sometimes if you do that to a headliner, whether you do it intentionally or not, that can damage you. But in this particular case. The booker loved me. So I'm in a hotel room about to go back to my hometown at the time on the East Coast. I was the this show was on the East Coast also, but a few hundred miles away. And I'm going home on the train and I'm listening to my set. And I'll be honest with you, this is <laughs> I from the bar with the recorder in my pocket. I recorded a couple of minutes of his set because he wasn't getting any sound. <laughs> there was no laugh coming through the wall. And, you know, I've, obviously I erased it. I just wanted to remember it, joyfully remember it on the way home. And by the time I got back to my hometown, obviously I had I erased his portion of the tape because I didn't need it anymore. And that was the last time I allowed myself elongated, scrumptious schadenfreude, because that's not a good way to feel. You know what I mean? Because I'm like... I, there, was, there was no, there was no pleasure in him bombing. Had I gone on stage and did what I did and had he gone on stage and killed, it would have been just as cool because I would have proven that his attempt to sabotage me was futile. And that would have been enough. I didn't have to sit back and have this negative feeling of, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, ain't like, they don't like you anywhere near as much as they like me. In fact, if I walk to the bathroom right now, they'll stop looking at you and they'll look over at me and start applauding and ignore you completely. I didn't do that, but I could have. But I remember that feeling. Even now, it's still a little bit of shodden for you because of what he tried to do to me. Because I've had... I've had if what he wanted were happened, I would have gone on stage and done badly. Keep in mind, I was technically, that was, I was booked that weekend, but that weekend essentially, if your first weekend at a comedy club is a job and an audition and he would have ruined my audition, I might not have gotten booked back if what he wanted to happen happened. I didn't let it. So I didn't feel bad. I feel bad now. Okay. I don't feel bad now. I, I don't. Okay, I feel a little bad now. You can see when I think about it. Yeah. I, okay, you know what? Forget what I said about this whole podcast. I, w- I would just say this. Under normal circumstances, don't take joy in someone else's suffering. But in that particular case, I, I, I take a little joy in it. Hold it for me. Let me enjoy the joy of that sucker. Yeah, that's right. You're trying to ruin me. did you get? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's enough of that. Back to being nice. <laughs> So, under normal circumstances, but all kidding aside, under normal circumstances, I mean, you know, to take joy in somebody else's suffering is kind of sucky. Even, even in a, in a sporting aspect, like when I watch a team that's a rival to my favorite teams, um, you know, I'm glad that my team won, but I don't, I'm not going to sit there and be happy that some kid's crying because his favorite team lost or that people are miserable at work. I'm not going to do that. I've evolved beyond that point, <laughs> except for about two teams, in which case suffer suckers. <laughs> OK, now I'm starting. OK, that, that that was that was not good. That was bad. That was bad. I shouldn't have said that. OK, we count to 10, One, two, five, ten. OK, we're going to go back to not doing the schadenfreude thing. OK, OK. And I want to say this. that would you don't take joint people's suffering. You know what makes me suffer? When not enough of you have subscribed to this podcast. So if you want to stop the suffering, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't, okay? You know what suffering in in my world is? When not enough people have ra- rated and reviewed your podcast. That makes me suffer, man. Don't take joy in that. You know what else makes me suffer? When not enough people... Recommend this podcast to their friends and family, or they don't retweet or reblog or re-facebook or whatever links to the podcast. That's that's suffering when it comes to me. So don't take any joy in my suffering. Help a brother out. Rate and review the podcast five stars, please. Tell other people about the podcast. Bring them back with you to listen. That would be really cool. And if you haven't subscribed, please do. You dig? Cool. More than anything else, I want to thank you again for all the love. Thank you for for listening, and I'm looking forward to you giving to you trashing me and calling me old because I referenced the pager. <laughs> I know it's coming. I guarantee you, within an hour after I drop this podcast, we, hey man, you old you, you pages. I don't even know what the page is. I I had to look it up on Google. <laughs> <laughs> so pre to heck with you to all the all you people that are going to do that to me. Okay. <laughs> All right, y'all. Much love to you. Thanks for listening. Take care, guys and gals and everybody. Bye-bye.